unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, copywriters, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Good, Nathan. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. You, last week, you said you were going to teach us the secret to thinking big or to thinking bigger. And uh, I want to know what this is. So I'm just going to shut up and I'm going to turn it over to you. All right. Well, remember a few weeks ago, we had Joe Schriefer on the podcast and in two special reports from the field. And on the second one, Joe said something that really changed my life. And so I've been thinking about that ever since. Mm. As you may remember, uh, Joe heads up Agora Financial, where he was one of the key players in growing it from 25 million a year to 250 million a year. And that show was about how to scale up a business dramatically the way Joe did it. Here's what Joe said keeps ringing in my ears, in my mind. He said, to grow a business big, think like the business is small. In other words, don't get grandiose. Just do the normal things you do, but do them increasingly better and do more of them. Don't get private jets and a yacht. You would think a quarter billion dollar business should have a private plane, right? But that's not how they do things. They fly commercial. And, you know, I I know that's a first world problem and all that stuff, but it's important because a lot of business people think in order to show that they're big businesses, they need to do stuff like that. So it got me thinking, there are so many people, so many gurus, so many meme posters on Facebook who are saying you need to think big. And then there are all these people who have these wild ass plans that they think big and the plans almost always disintegrate into dust. And I thought, why is that? What are these people misinformed about? And What can we all do differently so we can think bigger and actually profit long-term from our thinking and our actions? And probably the first thing we need to do is listen to this message. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health and finance, business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. And my larger clients do this all the time. So let, let's start with this, Nathan. What does thinking bigger really mean? And in copywriting and in entrepreneurship, especially with a direct response business, I think it means expanding your vision, the scope of what's possible in terms of specifics, measurable specifics. The most common example would be increasing your revenue or your income. It could be increasing the number of clients at the same time. It could be increasing the number of different products you sell. First in your mind and then in reality, that could be thinking bigger. And the reason that this is important is because business only moves in one of two directions. It moves up gets larger, or it moves down, it gets smaller. And you might say, what about about staying the same size? Well, if you try to stay the same size, 
It's really a series of moves of getting larger, then smaller, then larger, then smaller. And what a waste of time and energy that is. If you keep getting smaller, you eventually go out of business. So the only logical way to go is to get larger, to grow. And you need to think bigger to do that. But you need to think in the right way. Okay? Mm-hmm. So here's the mistake most people make. So imagine you're taking a road trip. And, you know, you've only been driving around uh, the town you live in, Colorado, or me driving around San Francisco, or whatever town, you know, a listener, wherever you live. Um, but you decide you're going to take a cross-country trip. And so most people think, thinking bigger is, yeah, I'm going to go to Bangor, Maine, or I'm going to go to Miami, or L.A., or Seattle, Washington, or, you know, someplace like that. So you, you get a map, and you, you know, you, you get a, a credit card so that you can buy gas, or you put a bunch of cash in your pocket. And most people assume that's thinking bigger. Here's the problem. You're out in the road and you get a flat tire. And you're in the middle of Nevada and (laughs) you get no cell phone signal. What do you do? Do you know how to change a flat tire? Maybe you've never changed a tire. Maybe you don't even know where your spare tire is. Maybe you don't even know if you have a jack. Okay, you're driving along, and all of a sudden, you come to a part of the road where there was a storm. Oh, it's it's dry as dust now, but the road's washed out. What do you do? Suppose you get lost, and you don't have GPS, or your GPS isn't up to date. What do you do? And that's the problem. You don't know how to solve all the nitty-gritty problems in the unexpected events that occur along the way. So people... Most people, they run into a few of these things and they say, oh, screw it. I, I can't do this. I'm, I'm going to go back to my hometown and just drive around in circles. And so they call what happened failing and they give up. And there's a way to avoid this whole thing. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Can I ask you a question real quick? Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of feel like I see this a lot. I see people have these big ambitious ideas and I, what comes to my mind is uh, no battle plan actually survives engagement with the enemy. A lot of times we have these big giant ideas about what we're going to do and then the real world hits us and a lot of people don't know how to react to that. They, they don't know how to react when, like you said, they get the flat tire and they say, you know what, I should have just never left. Or they say, I'm not going to even leave on my next road trip until I know that every single green light Every single light along the way is going to be green. And so they never even get out of the parking lot. Is that kind of what you're getting at? That's exactly what I'm getting at. Okay. And, you know, it it comes from, you know, having an an idealized view of the world, which is very easy if you never take any risks and you never do anything and you're basically getting by and you're making money where other people are dealing with the problems that you'd rather not deal with because in order to deal with those problems, you'd have to admit that the world's not perfect and that there's some frustration and some uncertainty and some risk. Okay. So, so what, uh, cause you're obviously pretty successful. I mean, you, you're the world's greatest copywriting coach. You've made books, you've made, uh, tons of programs. You've worked with some of the biggest companies out there. You, you obviously have a little bit more insight into what works 
So I, I kind of like to pivot onto that direction. What, what is the true path? What is the way to go about doing these things? Well, th- thanks for the props. And yeah, I'd agree. And the one thing, you know, this, you probably heard so many people say this and you don't believe this, but it's God's honest truth. I've screwed up more than most people in, in the things that I'm good at, but it's not, it's not about screwing up. It's about what you do about it. It's about learning how to deal with it. It's about resilience. It's about coming up with workarounds when you're under that stress. But let, let, me, let me lay this out a, a, a little more systematically because um, it, it includes that. But it, I'm not saying just go out and fail. <laughs> that's, that's not my advice. My advice is, first of all, get good at the basics. Get good at the basics when you're driving around your hometown. Get it good at them in the small world. If you're a copywriter, there are a few skills you need to have under your belt before you venture into the big time. Like you need to know how to do research. You need to come up with creative hooks. You need to learn to write in a persuasive way. Duh. You need to learn to negotiate and maintain relationships with clients more important than most copywriters think. And you need to learn to meet deadlines, like for real, actually meet them. Not come up with better excuses, but meet deadlines. If you're a business owner, there's also a core set of skills you need to have at a certain level of proficiency. And don't think you'll pick them up later when you start to think bigger. You, that, that's like, yeah, I guess I'll figure out how to change a tire when I'm in the middle of nowhere? You probably won't. It's probably going to get really ugly and frustrating. Figure that stuff out now. You need to have things in your toolkit where you are now before you start to go for big, massive goals. Now, you may have heard different. I've never seen it end well when someone's reach exceeds their grasp. Like the old saying goes, you need to prepare to win. You need to prepare to win. Now, there's two sides to this. One is learning these foundation skills. The other thing is why you can't think bigger until you can sweat the small stuff. Because thinking bigger, a large idea is just a multiplication of small. And let me put it this way. As hard as it is for most people to come up with good ideas, coming up with a good idea is the easy part. And many people who are good at coming up with ideas think implementation is the hard part. But implementing is easy compared to solving problems that occur, especially problems that you weren't expecting. I was talking to a client yesterday who's who's just blowing my mind with what he's doing in in starting up a new business. And I'm going to keep it real vague. I don't want to talk about who he is or what kind of business, but the problems he was having, there was no known solution. He was constantly having to think about how to deal with this and that and this problem and and get a coder to be motivated to help him actually implement the ideas he had. And I I know this guy's going to do really well, especially because he's willing to have problems. He's willing to become aware of them, admit it, solve the problem, find a workaround if the solution isn't a standard solution. 
and then coordinate with another person who's better at implementing that idea than he is. You know, that's, that's the thing you need to learn to do in the small world before you do in the big world. Um, solving problems when the heat is on, that's the primo skill. And the only way you're going to do it confidently and competently in a big way is by getting repetitive practice, doing it in a small way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's one of those things where you can't do the 15-mile jog if you haven't done at least one or two of the five-mile jogs. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's something like that. I, I did want to ask you, though, how mm-hmm. much does grit and being able to look at a negative situation, look at a failure, learn the valuable lessons, and still be able to get back up and, and do it again, how much does that play into this? A lot. I mean, that's, you know, in some ways, that's 90% of it. In some ways, it's a small portion, but it's like 90% of it if you don't do it. It's like, if, if you do it, then I, I don't quite know how to explain that. But there's another angle to that, too. And that is, when you fail, you're not a failure. When you succeed, you're not a success. You're, you have to distance yourself a little from it. But certainly you need to be detached and objective to a degree. It's not going to feel good when you fail, it, when, when you have something that doesn't work. But it is the grit and the determination. But it's also to keep your brain engaged, not, not let the part of your brain that wants to beat you up take over mm. or beat somebody else up. <laughs> the reason why I ask is because I know as a copywriter, I have pieces that bomb every once in a while and it hurts. It's like, oh man, I thought this was going to do so well and I didn't get a single sell off of it. And being able to pick myself back up and promote the same thing again in a different way rather than take it personally, um, it's huge. And I know a lot of people, I've seen a lot of people that try and maybe their piece of copy fails and they're really hesitant to go out and pitch the same thing again the next day. And uh, being able to ask yourself, why did that fail? Rather than say, oh, nobody wants to buy it. Being able to self-examine and say, well, what can I do better tomorrow when I rewrite this piece of copy? Um, (laughs) I found that that's a huge thing for me. I, I think it's okay to mourn and whine, you know, have a drink, get high, just do what you need to do, but limit it and finish that part. And then, and then, like you said, yeah, it's hard not to take it personally. And as copywriters, we're sensitive people. That we, if, if you're sort of insensitive, it's going to be hard to write copy as well. You need to understand other people. And the emotional sensitivity comes with the territory. But yeah, you need to get over it at a certain point and say, okay, so what can I learn from that? What do I need to do differently? And what do I need to know or figure out how to do? And, 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 and in your case, sometimes it's just trying a different approach. And sometimes it's saying, oh, I wonder if the price is wrong, the marketing is wrong, or maybe the product sucks. You, you, you just need to look at different angles. And if you can, systematically test them in, until you've nailed it down. And then when you finally get it right, Scale it up, right? Hey, let me ask you a question. Does it take you too long to write your copy? And if it does, have you ever wished you had a proven system to write it faster? Well, if that describes you, then you'll want to know about high-speed copywriting. 
This is a home study program that has helped a lot of people write profitable sales letters in as little as five hours. No, it's not a bunch of shortcut tricks that leaves you with cookie cutter sales letters that people can ignore. It's about writing full-fledged, memorable, response-getting sales letters much faster than it usually takes. It's tested and proven, too. High-speed copywriting will ease you through putting together an original, powerful sales letter and putting it together in record time. You can find out more at highspeedcopywriting.com. By the way, this is one of the very few programs that Bond and Kevin Halbert have given their Halbert seal of approval to. So check it out today, highspeedcopywriting.com. Thank you. And now back to our show. So what are some of the things that you've noticed and observed in the big thinkers that you know? Well, the the real big thinkers, the big thinkers who are also really accomplished in business, real achievers is surprisingly, they are obsessed with details, not all details, but the right details. They know what the right details are and they draw on their own experience and advice they've gotten from others who have at least as much experience as they have. They're not too big on theory or abstract ideas or slogans or principles. They might use slogans to motivate other people, but in their own mind, they're pretty practical, independent thinkers. Above all, they're great problem solvers, and they're very creative in that way, even if they're not like your typical creative personality. Some are, some aren't. They're decisive, and once they make a decision, they take action. They decide and they act. And here's something. I know that when you look at the gurus, you have people who beat their chest a lot. But the the big thinkers I know personally, the real ones, they're not huge braggarts and they're not self-effacing. They're not overly humble either. They're they're confident, but they're they're matter of fact about things and they're they're just sort of like regular folks in a larger world. They're, they're just part. They're matter of fact people in the larger picture that they see. Mm. So they find that balance in between not being able to take not being able to take praise and not being the guy that goes out there and sings his own praises. Yeah, I mean they'll they'll sing their own praises if and when it suits their purposes, but. That's not their main, their, their main interest is usually something else. It's, it's, it's their vision. It's, it's their company or it's their current promotion or their current activity, whatever it is. Nice. So taking this and, and I, I, I don't want to put the spotlight on you, but I do, I want to know in your own path, how, how is this translated into your own life and what you've been able to do? Well, it's, it's interesting because um, a fairly, fairly young age, um, I think at the time for me, uh, around 30 or 31, I started out very big and I'm putting big in quotes. I was big. I was this news editor of a national trade magazine in New York for a prestigious publisher, McGraw Hill. And then when I finally was promoted to become the San Francisco bureau chief, I was told I was the ambassador for McGraw Hill to Asia as San Francisco bureau chief. And it was all a bunch of bullshit. It, it was a bunch of bullshit. Of course, I, I didn't know it at the time because here's what I knew how to do. I was, knew, I was really good at reporting news and writing articles and editing articles. 
that was all I knew how to do really well. I mean, I could tie my own shoes and feed myself, but (laughs) you know, uh, those were my marketable skills. But here's what I didn't know how to do. I didn't really know how to solve problems. I didn't know how to manage teams. I didn't know how to motivate individuals. I didn't know how to bring in revenue. Someone else had to do all those things for me to get paid. Never occurred to me because I knew how to write. Okay. So I was young and naive. Now I think, you know, um, you need to do all those other things to grow a business. Even if your teams and your individuals are outsourced contractors and organizations, you don't just push a button. You, You have to work with people. Now, I pretty much started over. I left McGraw-Hill. I went out to become an entrepreneur or a freelancer or whatever I was doing when I was about 40. And I built the skills that I just told you about from the ground up. And I started very small. Now, I had to. I was broke and I didn't know what I was doing. And I finally realized that. And it was really scary. Okay. But these days, I focus on tiny details that my former self, I would have scoffed at, I would have mocked. I don't always focus on details. I certainly can zoom out and look at big picture stuff. But a lot of the things I do that matter to other people have to do with focusing on what's important. And when it comes to solving a problem at the granular level, I'm right there. I'm not above it. That's actually where I bring most of my value. To give one example. When I do a critique, I'll find four or five crucial things that can keep a client out of trouble and lead to a huge increase in conversions from the copy. Being able to identify and suggest those, that small number of things and being able to do it in a way that reaches a person without destroying their ego, that comes from having worked with hundreds of businesses and having reviewed thousands of sales letters over the last 25 years. Mm. So a lot of this, it's, it's not something that comes overnight. And in fact, it, like you mentioned, these were skills that you didn't even have at first. It, it, took, uh, it took a lot of time to actually build up these skills. And if you would have just given up because you weren't great at it right away, you never would have even gotten to the point where you're at. Yeah. And a, a lot of these things I'm not naturally good at. I mean, I think I was naturally good at writing. Now, when I turned pro, I realized, yeah, that and at the time, 50 cents would have gotten me a regular coffee uh, in New York. But that was, you know, so then I had to start working at that skill. But um, did I say it right? Regular coffee. There you go. Um, But yeah, I mean, and I I learned a lot of this through through pain and through failure. And um, finally, through listening and enjoying actually getting the answers that I didn't expect. And, you know, I I did go back to school. I didn't uh, learn too many business things at school, but I I learned some things about learning and some things about listening and and working in teams. I mean, as as a writer, I never learned anything about teams. Basically, you know, the editor was management. You know, Hunter Thompson, uh, who was one of my heroes, at, at a memorial service for him after he died, uh, his editor said that he actually wrote Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas at the Seal Rock Inn in San Francisco, which is near the Cliff House, which is near where the Pacific Ocean meets the San Francisco Bay. And, you know, 
Thompson, Hunter, considered editor's management and the enemy. And, and his editor would come visit him, and there would be some loaded guns on the table. And Hunter was not smiling. Uh, so th- th- those are the personal skills that many writers have. Um, so just, just pointing that out. Yeah. Nice. So what are, what are the next steps that people should take if, if they're listening to this and they're saying, okay, I want to start being able to think big in a more constructive way. What are the next steps that they should take? Okay. So first thing you want to do is take a look at your skills, see which skills you don't have yet, put them in priority order, figure out which ones or which one needs to be developed first and and put together a plan. And this is the kind of plan that actually doesn't blow up the minute you start trying to implement it. It may go in a different direction, but when you set a, a learning and a development plan, you can actually follow that in a fairly linear, predictable way. Start developing the priority skills one at a time. One of the things I learned is if you try and develop five skills at a time, you're maybe not going to develop any of them really well. It's, so like maybe focus on one thing at a time for a few months at least. I, I think it was Bruce Lee who said, I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times far more than I fear the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks one time each. Yeah, it's, it's hard to get to any destination if you're traveling in five different directions at once. It is, and yet it's amazing how many people continue to this day to try that. Um, so it takes a little longer this way, but you can avoid a lot of disasters that would have been inevitable if you tried to do too much too soon. David, another fantastic episode, man. I appreciate being able to sit in on these conversations with you, and uh, I know the listeners appreciate it as well going to speak on their behalf <laughs> um, all right thank you <laughs> uh do we have something planned for the next episode or is it going to be a surprise it's going to be a surprise all right awesome all right well until then make sure that you're heading over to the copywriters podcast website which is copywriterspodcast.com subscribe on itunes and we will catch you next time okay catch you next time thanks If you found this show valuable and you'd like to get it in the ears of other people, the best way to do that is to subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes.